Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. Here's your host, Chris Lee. Commodore fans, on your feet, it's time to anchor down. Welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast presented by Dr. Jody Jones DDS. We are part of the 440 Sports Network. I'm your host, Chris Lee. Our guest today will be Kevin Ingram, the voice of Vanderbilt Radio for basketball. Kevin appears on the guest line. That is presented by Michael Kendrick of the Kendrick Group. Michael is a local carpenter and a lifelong Vanderbilt fan. He builds bookshelves, cabinets, picture frames, furniture, and made-to-order items, including a display case for my prized Dale Murphy jersey. I've seen Michael's work. He's a true craftsman. If you're in the market for custom woodwork, give Michael a call. That number is 615-830-9458. You can also text him at that number as well. Our question and answer session with Kevin Ingram is sponsored by Sutherland and Belk, a family-owned injury law firm. If you or a loved one has been hurt in an accident, give Taylor or Russell a call. That number is 615-846-6200. See what your rights are and if they can help. Anyway. Now on to our interview with Kevin Ingram. Kevin Ingram joins us straight off a trip from Richmond where he called Vanderbilt's close loss to VCU last night. Kevin, thanks for joining us today. Hope you were doing well. Uh, I'm good. Uh, a little tired. We've been on the road a lot, but uh, doing just fine. Yeah, what time did you get in last night? Uh, we probably landed about 1130 and I, was, I don't live very far from the airport, so I was home a little before midnight. So it wasn't too bad. Well, we'll get into obviously the the part of the game that has everybody buzzing. But before we do that, what were your just overall thoughts on the game and how Vanderbilt played last night? Um, I thought Vanderbilt played pretty well for a lot of the game. I mean, when you play VCU, you sort of know what you're going to get. I mean, you know they're going to pressure you the whole game, and they they almost like lure you into thinking you're okay by the time you get to midcourt, and then they slap the traps on, or at least they try to, and. Uh, I thought Leon Robbins getting that second foul early in the game was really big. That that really hurt Vanderbilt with him having to spend so much time in the first half on the bench. And then Jordan Wright with his uh, back problem wasn't able to play very much in the second half, and uh, and that hurt as well. But the lineup that uh, they had out there for a lot of the game I, I thought was pretty effective. And you saw Trey Thomas come back and hit some threes. Miles Studi shot it great. And Liam Robbins was terrific in the second half, and he was total difference maker. And, Vanderbilt clawed back from double figures, took the lead briefly, uh, and then never could really uh, get back over the hump. They they had it back even a time or two down the stretch. But VCU made some plays. Vanderbilt still had a chance inside that last minute, but uh, less than 20 seconds left at the end of the shot clock. It was well defended, and the guy just made one. And uh, that was a you know big difference maker in the game. Talk about dagger shots, that was one of them. But overall, I thought Vanderbilt did okay. It was, it was a wild game. It was a crazy atmosphere. And, of course, uh, you know, everything involved with the technical fouls and all of that. But um, uh, you, you kind of came away feeling a little empty. I felt like Vanderbilt had, uh, might, might could have gotten that one done, but uh, came up five points short. Yeah, if it weren't for the technical foul aspect, it feels like the story was sort of that Studi and Robbins just about single-handedly kept them in the game. Yeah, they, they were both just outstanding. Uh, Robbins scoring a close range and getting to the free throw line and miles, you could tell he just, he had the eye from three point land. He's really shot it great so far this season. He was 50% coming in and uh, had a good night last night, but yeah, just uh, a little, 
uh, you know, the big shots and, and turnovers, you know, the points off turnovers are really a big difference in that game. And like, like I say, you know what you're getting into when you play VCU and they hadn't had Ace Baldwin, their top guard for a big stretch of games. He had hurt his wrist and the word was he was going to be back until the middle of December. Well, lo and behold, there he is in the starting lineup on November 30th. So, so much for mid-December. I don't know if they were uh, just kind of uh, slow playing that one to did not really tip their hand a little bit as far as when he might return, but he was a total difference back there. He had a career high 28 points in that game. And, you know, if they don't have him, Brett Vanderbilt probably wins, but uh, yeah, it was Robbins and miles are really good. And, you know, I feel like Ty Lawrence is having a nice season so far. And like I said, Trey came back and uh, you know, you just, I think for this team, you just need more contributors. Uh, you can rely on about a core of three or four guys. You can rely on every game, but if you can get, you know, five or six points out of more people, it feels like it'll serve this team well. Yeah, Baldwin and Watkins for VCU were questionable heading into last night. Uh, so much for questionable. Those two kids end up leading them in minutes with 33 and 31 respectively, and Baldwin had just had screws put in his wrist. Yeah, and he was. You know, he's a guy who's all conference player and, and all conference defender, but he was their primary ball handler. And you, you wanted to try to get the ball out of his hands, and then they got it to Watkins on that that possession that really made the difference in the game. And he was able to you know hit that tough shot over Tyron Lawrence, who I mean he was right in his face, and it was the end of the shot clock. You thought, boy, they get a stop right here, and you got a chance to go down and tie with a three, and uh, that was such a gigantic shot. But I, I thought Baldwin was really good. I mean, they you know they had the ball in his hands, and. He, you know, he tries to get into you and get to the free throw line, and he can do it a whole lot of the time. Those two are really good. Okay, now for the part everybody's probably been waiting for. You had the best view of what went on with the technical fouls, maybe what precipitated it, those sorts of things. I don't think anybody in the house had a better seat than you have, so just give us the background of what went on. Well, I mean, I, I think – I, I don't know that I had the best seat. I actually, you know, we were. Do, do announcers get fined for criticizing officials? I'm just, just asking for I a don't friend. Know. Here. I'm, I'm going to tiptoe that line. I don't really want to <laughs> find out. I don't know that I can afford that. I don't have as deep, deep a pockets as uh, some do. Um, I, from my perspective, really, what really set Jerry Stackhouse off was the technical that was called on Liam Robbins after he got the dunk. He thought he got fouled, and he kind of he tapped the top of his head. And I, I don't know if that. I think that maybe. Did, Something that Jerry Stackhouse made reference after the game. That's something that, that kids do, just kind of, you know, joking around or talking smack or whatever. I didn't see what the big deal was with that, but apparently the officials did because they teed up Liam Robbins for that. And if you're around Liam and you watch him play a lot, I mean, he's not a very demonstrative guy or a smack talker or anything like that. For him to get a technical foul to me was was crazy to begin with, but especially for that particular thing. And then. Uh, Coach Stackhouse was really, really upset after that, and he he got out. You know, it was time for the under eight timeout when the whistle blew. It was with seven fifty nine to go, and so they were going to the timeout anyway. And Coach Stackhouse got out there, and, and you could kind of see the te- the first technical coming, no question about it. And then the coaching staff was trying to get him back to the bench and settle down. And he, he went back for a little more and got the second technical and, and was escorted off. And, you know, I, I think there is some, there, there was a little bit of mis, uh, perception about him being let out of the building by security and all that. I mean, he, he wasn't like, it was his own guy. Wasn't it secure? It was his yeah. own guy. Yeah. Vanderbilt, you know, the, the coaches have a police officer that travels with him and it, it was Vanderbilt's guy that, that just escorted him back to the locker room. It wasn't, like he was being hauled out of there or anything, but um, 
for the last eight minutes, uh, it was Adam Azari leading the team. If you watch practice, I mean, he's he's the one of the voices you hear the most in addition to Coach Stackhouse. So um, I, I I certainly understood why Jerry was unhappy with the technical that was called on Liam Robbins because I didn't I didn't really understand that particular call and. Um, I, I don't think it was just that. I think there had been an accumulation of things where he felt like the, the, the fouls were a little bit slanted in VCU's favor, and they had shot certainly a lot more free throws. And then right there with the three technicals, there were six free throws awarded to VCU, and they made four out of six. Baldwin went to the line and, and uh, hit four out of six right there. And you, you think about that little exchange, and it really could have been worse than four points, but still that's that's four free points basically for VCU. And in a five-point game, that uh, is a big difference maker. But, yeah, it, it got a lot of national attention. I know it was all over um, social media last night, the, the clips and everything. But um, the, the first part of it that, that really set him off, the technical foul on Liam Robbins, it felt like maybe that's something that could have been let go. Yeah, let me give you both sides of that. I was exchanging texts with a friend of mine who's on another Power 5 staff this morning. And he said before the season, that particular thing was a big point of emphasis in the films that they send the coaches. So part of me is going, well, that, that's that's kind of on Vanderbilt. I mean, it, it looked pretty innocuous, but if the officials are saying this is going to be a big deal this year, and I, and I think probably particularly when you're in somebody else's building, it's something you ought to heed. But I also had the same person tell me, hey, I've seen officials, good officials in that spot warn a kid and say, hey, we're not going to tolerate that anymore and, and pull them aside right. and do it that way rather than just giving the technical. And, and frankly, it feels to me like that might have been the better way to handle it. I think so, too. And and, and what Coach Stackhouse said after the game, I, th- I think that was part of his issue with it, too, is like if you have a problem with it, can you at least give them a warning, not just tee them up right here? Um, it, it felt like the, the technical was a little extreme, especially if – you know, he hadn't been given a warning or anything leading up to that. So, yeah, I, to be honest, I, I mean, I, I knew they liked taunting and those sorts of things that maybe had been a, a point of emphasis. I, I didn't know about that particular gesture or whatever, but I, I, I don't know. It, it felt to me, it felt like a bit of an overreaction, but again, I'm not uh, coaching or officiating games. I, I just watching from a distance, but it, it seems like they could have given him a warning and, and maybe that might've been the, certainly been the better way to handle that situation. That part aside, was that an especially physical or chippy game? Um, I, I didn't think it was like really chippy. Like there wasn't a lot of, you know, I didn't see a lot of uh, like real smack talking or you know pushing and shoving after the whistle or anything like that. Like I, I didn't really notice hardly any of that throughout the game. I mean, it, you know, it, was, it was fairly physical. I mean, Virginia Commonwealth they guard you really close and they press and all those things and uh, you know, played physical defense. But I didn't think it was like I didn't see anything was like dirty or, or you know out of the ordinary as far as the game went. So as far as that goes, I, I didn't see a lot of chippiness other than you just your, just your average little jaw that goes back and forth in the course of a game. Like to me, some of that stuff is just stuff that comes with the territory. I, I didn't think there was anything out of the ordinary as far as that goes. This season of the Vandy sports podcast has been made possible by my friend, Dr. Jody Jones, DDS. When it comes to general or cosmetic dentistry services, Jody is the best in Nashville. Just check out his client list. It testifies to that. He sees movie stars, music stars, athletes, coaches, you name it. Jody is the dentist of choice for stars in Nashville, but he sees regular folks like you and I as well. 
What people love about Jody's office is the ambiance. It's relaxing. It's friendly. Someone described it to me as a tooth spa. Whether your needs are general or cosmetic, go see Jody today. Call him 615-270-2322. See him at 55 Music Square East, not far from downtown or the Vanderbilt campus. Jody is a former Vanderbilt football player and a huge Commodore booster, so go and talk Vandy sports with him while you're there. Go see Jody Jones today. Thank him for his support of this podcast because without it, this season would not be possible. What was up with the first half substitutions last night? Because if I recall correctly, Vanderbilt played 13 guys in the first half. Well, I I think part of it was, I mean, Vanderbilt's been down a couple guys and, you know, the illness went around the team last week when we were out in California. So some of the guys were just coming back and, uh, they were down four players in that game against Fresno State the other night. Uh, Quentin Malora Brown was out sick for that game, and um, you know, a, a couple of guards have been out. Obviously, Trey Thomas is, is coming back for the first time since uh, about the second game of the season from the knee injury. And uh, like I say, he had a couple other players that were sick, and Jordan Wright's uh, back problem has been an issue. I, I think the, a lot of the thinking was is you know, play a variety of guys and just basically steal some minutes for the guys that you know you're going to need down the stretch. And that, that's felt like what it was. I mean, they, Jerry went pretty deep into the bench in that first half. And we saw a little bit of every, I think we saw almost every player that he brought on the trip, uh, including Graham Calton, who's a walk-on. We, we saw Noah Shelby for a little bit. Um, you know, Lee Dort has been receiving some minutes uh, pretty much every game and, and Malik Dia and uh, Colin Smith has, has certainly played the most of the, uh, the freshmen so far this season. But yeah, I, I think it was mostly just about, saving some energy for the, the main core of guys who are going to be the ones that played the bulk of the minutes in the second half. Yeah. Someone on our board said Jordan Wright was wearing a weight belt or something like that while he was on the bench. That's typically something you do for back support. I would think, and just looking at his stat line, he didn't score last night. It was so un- uncharacteristic, four turnovers, no assists. He's got to be hurting really, really badly to put up those numbers in just 14 minutes, which I'm guessing is the lowest total he's played in, man, I don't know, probably three years. Yeah, I would think so. He's usually a guy who's out there for a big chunk of the game. Um, I think he got injured, actually, in the game against St. Mary's last week in California. And then he struggled with it in the Fresno State game. And it, it I don't know if you'd really call it a weight belt, but it's uh, the, the one belt that he was wearing out there in California for that Fresno game. It, it looked like it had like electrodes on it or whatever, you know, which would you know stimulate the, you know, the, the back muscles and, you know, just try to uh, provide some therapy that way uh, or treatment or whatever you want to call it. Um, I, I don't know that I noticed him wearing that uh, a lot last night. It was more of like just a wrap around his midsection. And you, you could tell he got two fouls early in the second half and he just wasn't moving around very well. He looked so uncomfortable and, uh, you know, he's trying to try and guard plays a couple of times. It just, you can tell he just couldn't move like he needed to, to uh, defend. And, um, after he got that second foul, I think they decided just to shut him down for the rest of the half. And I, I sort of wonder if, uh, you know, we might get into a situation where they shut him down for a game or two here and try to, you know, get him well. Cause you, that, I mean, that is a key guy for this team that you're going to need, uh, certainly as you get into SEC play coming up in a few weeks. What's the prognosis for Paul Lewis? That I don't know. I, I think he should be back soon. I know he's, uh, I know he battled illness and 
um, has not played in a while. That's another valuable guy. You know, you talk about uh, the backup to Ezra Magnon, the, the point guard. I mean, he's, he's, Paul is going to be a guy who's going to play some significant minutes there at that number two point guard spot. And you know, if he's healthy and ready to go, I assume he still will. But I, I don't really have a good answer on, on when he might be back. Looks like their rotation right now is Studi, Robbins, Lawrence, Wright, Magnon, Malora, Brown, Colin Smith are the main ones, followed by Dia and Ansong. Is that well? I and guess Trey Thomas too, if you include um, minutes uh-huh. per game. He's he's missed three. Is that about what it's going to look like come SEC play? You think? I would think so. Um, that that sounds about right. Um, I sort of think Malik Dia, I feel like as the season goes along, we'll see improvement from him. He's, he's a big guy. He's a good shooter. And he um, feels like he can you know, help this team, which you know, at times struggles a little bit offensively. Um, I, I think it's the other end of the court that Jerry Stackhouse wants to see these guys show the improvement. Uh, a lot of playing time seems to be based on how well they play defensively. But I, I would say that group you named is, is the, are the ones that we're going to see. Um, you know, it's been interesting – the games in California and really the game last night and uh, maybe even going back to the game at Temple, you you see a lot of people in the first half, but then as the second half goes along and you get a little more into the the key spots in the game where you're trying to to nail down a win, you're you're seeing them just play a a pretty steady core of guys and maybe try to steal some rest for for Magnon or or a couple of the others. But um, it's those dudes, and uh, those those are the ones that I think are going to be the key ones as we move toward SEC play. The Robbins Malora Brown playing time split has been kind of interesting because Malora Brown was the starter to begin the season, was probably playing a little bit more. It's just become evident to me, and I'm sure it is to, to Jerry Stackhouse too, that he's their best player. They've got to have him on the floor as much as they can. Now, foul trouble has been prohibitive at times. He's had four in each of his last three games, but if he can stay out of foul trouble, is this a situation where he's getting maybe 27, 28, nine minutes a game? I think they have to at this point. You're talking about Robbins, right? Yeah. Is that what I said? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, okay. Uh, yeah, I, I, I would, would tend to agree with you on that. I mean, you know, we, we saw how valuable he was when he went out of the game with a second foul in the first half, and it just makes all the difference in the world and how Vanderbilt plays offensively. It, you know, the rim protection element of it, too, on the other end. He had eight blocks in the game against Fresno State. So, um, you know, he can make things difficult for people trying to take it inside. But, uh, yeah, if, if he's if he's not in, I mean, that's a big chunk. And, you know, we've seen a lot more versatile game, it feels like, out of him in this first seven-game stretch of the season. Um, last year, you saw some post-ups, and then you saw him shoot a lot of three-pointers. This season, it's not as many three-pointers after the first game or two. It's been more down low, posting him on the block and you know, letting, letting him uh, try to hit a jump hook or, or score at close range. Or we've seen him get to the middle of the paint and hit a turnaround or a fadeaway. And those, those shots will look great. Uh, that's something we didn't see out of him last season. It looks like it's really developed for him. But, yeah, we're seeing more of the all-around game for Liam Robbins. And uh, you got to like what you've seen if you're Vanderbilt fans. Vanderbilt had 19 turnovers on Wednesday. I think 13 were in the first half. What adjustments did you see in the second half to take care of the ball better? Um, I, I think I think a lot of it was just being a little more patient against the pressure. And Ezra Magnon was the, the main ball handler, and 
they just did a better job of of making the pass when they needed to. You play against that pressure, you want to get rid of the ball before the traps arrive. And um, you know, and they still turned it over a couple times in the second half. But those turnovers really went down as, as you got deeper into the game. Uh, first half, it felt like they, it took a little bit to adjust to that. And um, you know, you you see steals in midcourt, or you see uh, you know a, a wide pass that goes out of bounds, or somebody might fall down and get on the floor, and all of a sudden VCU has to go in the other direction. But it, it felt like that part of it steadied as the game went along. They didn't have quite as much trouble with that pressure. Kevin, anything worth discussing or takeaways from the last week or two worth getting into before we end the show today? Um, I think for this team, just sort of finding its way. It's you know, it's you sort of knew that not having Scottie Pippen Jr. and his 20 points a game, and not just that, but his ability to manufacture points when things aren't, aren't really going as smoothly as you want on offense, uh, that, that's a lot to replace. To me, it's been a little more difficult than maybe I expected it to be, but I still think this team has a lot of room for growth. They've had some bad injury and, and health luck so far. Maybe those things will get better, and uh, just root for good health for Jordan Wright because that, that is really going to be a, a major factor. You hope, uh, hopefully his back situation won't be a, a long-term thing. But, man, it's been a really busy stretch here. You know, November is always the most difficult month. You have uh, football finishing up. You have basketball getting started and just so much going on. And um, it, it's, I, I'm kind of – it's been nice today to have just a little bit of a breather. I was thinking about the the stretch I've had for the last week and a half. I feel like I've been everywhere and done everything, but um, it's a lot of fun. And uh, yeah, it'll be a, a three game stretch coming up for this team. And then a little bit of a break before they go to Chicago, but uh, we'll see Wofford Saturday and then Pitt and Grambling coming up next week. Yeah. I'm in the same boat with you. It's been just about seven day work weeks since late July when they opened camp, just to be able to be able to, sit down and have a little bit of margin in one schedule is kind of nice. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it has been nice. And, uh, uh, have a, have a little bit of a breather and be home a little more in December. My family hasn't seen very much of me in the, the month of November. I think they're ready for me to be home a little while. So, uh, we'll, we'll all enjoy that. Well, Kevin, thanks for taking your time today to join us. Any announcements for the, the radio network or anything before you leave today? Yeah, just be sure to uh, check us out. We'll be on with pregame on Saturday at 3.30 Central Time. Game starts at 4 over Memorial Gym, Vanderbilt, and Wofford. Uh, we have weekly editions of our Anchor podcast. You can find that at Apple and Spotify. And then you can also uh, listen to us on Monday night. We'll have Commodore Hour. We're going to kind of transition into basketball after uh, finishing up football this past week. Thanks for joining us, Kevin. We'll see you again soon. Anytime, Chris. Uh, hopefully, uh, how'd you do at bowling the other night, by the way? Oh, don't ask. <laughs> I'm, but I'm not the one toting my own ball around. So, you know, that's, that was all kind of for show. That's a lot of self-induced pressure. <laughs> that was, yeah. I, I, had, I almost went and took my bowling ball back and put it back in the car. And then I'm like, well, you know, if, if, I, if I don't bring it in here, I won't be able to find one that I even remotely like. So um, I, I, I broke 100. And we ended up bowling three games. We were having a good time, the guys I bowled with. And so uh, – we, we, it was moving pretty fast, and we bowled three games. And by the time we got to the third game, I think my arm was about to fall off. I had not bowled in a while, but it was, it was a good time. And uh, George Plaster and, and uh, the, the folks that helped him with that do a great job. It was a really fun event. Yeah, yeah, they did. Well, if, if bowling nines were the object, you would want me on your team. I'm the king of that. Same same here. Oh, yeah, I just couldn't pick up the spare. I could get the first nine. It was that, that uh, final pin that was the, the challenge. Yeah, I, I think that they ought to change the rules of bowling because to me, it's way harder to knock all the pins down but one than it is to knock them all down. <laughs> right, exactly. 
I'm just gonna just gonna throw that out there. Well, Kevin, again, thank you for joining us. We'll catch you soon. Anytime, Chris. Thanks, man. Thank you for listening to today's episode. We thank our presenting sponsor, Jody Jones DDS. We thank our other sponsors, Sutherland and Belk, Michael Kendrick of the Kendrick Group, and MyPerfectFranchise.net. If you're interested in sponsoring this podcast, and that's how we make this work, please email me at chrislee70 at gmail.com. We also ask that you subscribe to our website, vandysports.com. That is $99 a year. You get things there that you don't get here. And, of course, please rate, review, and subscribe where you see our podcast. That helps us get noticed. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at vandysports.com. Follow me at chrislee70. And finally, subscribe to our Vandy Sports YouTube channel as well. Thank you for listening to the Vandy Sports Podcast, which is part of the 440 Network. I'm your host, Chris Lee. We'll catch you with another episode coming very soon.